change around my team, yeah, we off the leash. You can look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we drop, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podskiwiwi. I'm Josh Smith. I'm Mike Graham. Mike, we have another jam-packed show to do today, but I need to start with something that has been bugging me the last two weeks. However, it's also something that I think, because of our sway, got fixed earlier today on Tuesday, and that was the Ticats not making their practice schedule public. I know of a fair number of fans who like to attend practices, and for some reason, up until today, the Ticats had not updated their practice schedule online, but if you go to the Ticats practice schedule now on the website, it has been updated. Mike, I can think of no other reason than we got sway, buddy. It's it's all us. We forced this change. Let's pat ourselves on the back. No dead in my mind, Josh. You know, Pods Kiwi, we just has so much power. I mean, I, th- I think, you know, we just sit atop our thrones looking at, you know, all the minions down beneath us. But uh, but in, in, in a serious note, I, uh, I'm i glad that the, you know, the practices are up there now, the schedule. So all the Ticat fans can get down there and uh, watch their team because we know that Ticat fans are pretty darn passionate. Yeah, and I know this only affects like a small number of the fan base, but it's one of those things where it's these are the die. If you're going to practice, you're a diehard fan. So give mm-hmm. these people what they're looking for. Let them let them know when the practices are going to be because the fans want to be there. The fans want to watch the guys practice. I saw a ton of people at McMaster during training camp. I'm sure a lot of those people will go during the regular season as well. So this is a good thing. I obviously. I was tongue in cheek saying that you and I were the ones that were responsible for this being released, but it doesn't matter. It's out there and that's a good thing. So let's move on to talking about the game. You and I did once again, a live reaction show on Twitter following Hamilton's 30 to 13 loss to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders on Saturday night. The last few weeks after we've done those, we've come on this show and I would ask you, is there anything else you'd like to talk about? You would say no, and we would move along. But there has been some discourse following this game, and there was one thing that you and I didn't touch on that I think people are maybe a little upset that we didn't touch on. So there are two things that we do have to still discuss from Saturday's contest. The first one is, and I've received a lot of of tweets and messages about this. I'm sure we've received a bunch on the Podsky account as well. Something you even banged your your drum about over the past few, I guess, months maybe, and that revolves around offensive play calling and how this maybe this Condell-style offense is no longer as effective as it used to be. We obviously saw some horrible, like a a completely abhorrent offensive performance on Saturday night, Mike. Do you believe that the play calling and the game planning are one of the biggest reasons why? Or do you think that this is just a blip and we have nothing to worry about? I think that is part of it um, has to do with play calling. I just think that Tommy Condell has a hard time working around um, a not very good offensive line. Like if the pressure's on the quarterback, this offense will not function very well. 
So I think that, yeah, part of it was play call. Obviously, the offensive line, you know, the Dane had no time. The offense couldn't rush the ball either. Um, they abandoned the run pretty quickly, which um, was kind of disappointing. That was like a, you know, a Ken Austin trait um, back in the day. But yeah, and we need Con- to. And Condell is an Austin disciple, so it kind of makes sense that that would happen. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, when we have a guy like Don Jackson, um, you want to give him the ball more. I mean, I'm trying to look up the numbers here on the rushing. He had five uh, carries for one yard. Five carries, one yard. Uh, Tim White led with two carries for 11 yards. Yeah, Tim when, White, a receiver. A receiver yeah, was the leading rusher. Not good. Yeah, when your leading rusher has 11 yards and he's not even a running back, um, yeah, that's that's not very good. So, yeah, I mean – I, I talked about it in the offseason. I'm not particularly high on Tommy Condell anymore. And, you know, I hope he proves me wrong. But And it's only one game. We'll see where this goes. But I'm a little bit worried. Yeah, I think I'm leaning towards worried, but I'm not there yet. And only because 2019, the last full season we had, this offense, which was run by Condell, crushed it. Like, they were scoring at will. Now, yes, they had an MOP in Brandon Banks at the height of his powers, the best season he's ever had. I get all that. But they were absolutely destroying people. Then you had 2021, which I kind of just, I'll give it a wash for everybody. Like, I'm not going to take too much from that season. You're coming off a, a missed year. It's a shortened season. No training, like barely any training camp, no preseason. I kind of take that 2021 season, kind of throw it away. If we get to about week four, week five, and this offense is still operating like this, then I will start to get truly concerned. What I am concerned with, though, is game planning. And that's because you hear about like team script offensively, the first 12 to 15 plays or whatever it is of a game. And in those first 12, 15 plays for the Ticats in this game against the Riders, they were terrible. It was, I, I wrote about it for three down. I think the first five plays were incompletion, on a pass that was tipped, fumble, then it was, I believe, play a run negated by a flag, or there was some sort of holding call, I believe. Then it was a short pass to Jake Burt, then an interception. It was the worst five like it was just awful. So I'm more concerned about how they decide to script these openings of games and how that could be something that could be an issue later down the line if they can't adjust. And the adjustments in the game too, Mike. When the pass rush is getting there that much, what do you do? You call short passes. You call some screen passes. We saw very little of that. So while I'm not fully concerned, if if the needle was supposed to be in the middle between completely happy and completely concerned, I'm starting to lean closer towards the concerned edge. But I'm still willing to give it maybe four games before I really start to because they have this upcoming game against Calgary. Then they got to go to Winnipeg. That's a tough game. And then they got Canada against the Elks. If they look that bad against a team like Edmonton, who just got the doors beaten off of them. Yeah, we'll we'll be having a much different conversation the episode after the Canada Day game, I think. Right. And it, it is hard to, you know, place the blame on Tommy Ken Condell when the offensive line is just really bad. I mean, they were in that first game. And, you know, now with injuries, you know, we might be seeing some backups come in. It's just, why do we do this? Why do we do this? Every year, it's like, they don't care about the offensive line, it seems, or, or they just have too much confidence in the guys that they have. Like, I don't get it. You're paying your quarterback the most money on the team. He's the most important player on the team. And you don't stack the offensive line. And there was free agents. There was free agents out there in the offseason. They didn't care. Defense, defense, defense. We, we talked about building a team that can beat the Blue Bombers. If our left tackle and our right tackle suck, then we will not beat the Blue Bombers. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah, it's it definitely seems... 
curious and in like hindsight. Christian Zyle, okay, like I know he's been a great player in this league. He's almost 40, and we have said this in the offseason. Fontana, you bring him in, he hasn't played in three years. You know, you don't get a left tackle. Like, And then the first game of the season, you give up eight sacks. Eight. So, like, I don't understand the thinking. I, I, I know that I'm just a fan, and I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, but it seemed like I, I know what I was talking about in that first game. You know what I mean? I can't say you don't know what you're talking about if – when you say something, it's it comes true. You know what I mean? Like if you're maybe they'll maybe they'll get better. Maybe they'll get better. I'm, just, I'm freaking out, and then I'm trying to rationalize. I get you know. it. I get. It. But they were awful. I, I mean, this is the only evidence we have so far of what to talk about. So obviously, we're not going to be very high on the performance when, like you said, eight sacks, a quarterback who was completely harassed, and an in in an area that we have talked about being concerned now for two straight off seasons when they lost Riker Matthews to the BC lions, it was okay. How do they replace him? Now he's, they could have got him, but he decided to retire. That's understandable, but there were options out there, whether the team didn't believe that they were better options than what they had in house or what have you, or the guys didn't want to come to Hamilton. That's entirely possible scenario as well. I don't know what it is, but it's something that definitely has to get fixed or this season is going to, it's going to be another, you said nine and nine at the beginning of the year. This team could be one of those, you know, finish in second, go nine and nine because they never get the offensive line settled. And if that's, if this is going to be a continuing problem, then this team's not going to win very many football games in my opinion. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And like nothing works well when you don't have any time in the backfield. We saw that they abandoned the running game so quickly because they weren't gaining any yards. And, and you know, that partially has to do with the offensive line. So it's it's very frustrating. And I hope that this next game, you know, relieves some of my worry. But but I, I'm not going to bet on it. Calgary's got a pretty good defensive line, too. You know, Mike Rose's. We're going to talk about the top 50 players in a bit. Mike Rose was a top 50 player. They got Sean Lemon, who's always kind of in the mix as one of the leading sack guys, even at his advanced age. So it's going to be a test. We'll, we'll see how they do. Uh, there's one more thing that we have to talk about from Saturday's game that we somehow neglected to talk about on the Instant Reactions postgame show. I don't know how this slipped either of our minds because it was the only thing anyone on Twitter wanted to talk about other than the terrible offensive line play. And that was the Simone Lawrence hit on Cody Fajardo, the hit came early in the second quarter. Fajardo would escape the pocket. He was being dragged down by Malik Kearney. Simone comes in with a hit that was kind of in the head neck area. Ryder fans boot him. There was a flag on the play. Ryder fans are pissed. Ticat fans are in defensive mode, you know, defending Simone once again from, from the stuff. You've seen the hit. You watch the game. Where do you stand on it? You know, I kind of went hard on him with the Caleros hit a couple years ago. I don't think I think he was just trying to make a play, man. Like Agreed. it's it's hard to judge when you're not on the field how fast everything goes. And not that I've been there or anything like that, but I'm just saying, like, to the you know, casual observer, yeah, maybe that looked a little dirty, but I don't think it was. Um, I think that he got pulled down as he was, you know, someone who was going in for the hit. So um yeah, I I I think it deserved a flag, but but that's it. Like I don't think he deserves a fine or suspension or anything like that. So the way I look at it is there was it was people saying it's high. How is it a high hit when he's clearly diving down? And it would have been if if Fajardo's not being pulled down, that hits in the small of his back. And that's a perfectly like he hits him in the kidneys. Yeah, it's probably a vicious blow, but no one says boo. It's because Fajardo's being pulled down. Now, I know the other side of it is, well, he shouldn't be launching himself kind of indiscriminately in that position. He should keep his head up, yada, yada, yada. But like you said, Things happen so quickly in a game. Yeah, it's very easy when we slow things down to slow motion to be like, oh, man, he hit him in the neck. But when Fajardo's butt's nearly on the ground, and I'm sorry, the whistle hadn't been blown, and Fajardo's running. He's making himself a target, and you're the quarterback, and what? how many? How often does a player get a chance to hit the quarterback? And I play again, 
I've talked about this before. I played football, but I didn't play beyond high school. You're taught to hit. If the quarterback's going to get out there, you hit him as hard as you can because you don't get very many chances to hit him. I didn't see a problem with the hit as much as like I see the other side of it. But to me, comparing this, the Caleros hit was a completely different thing. Like that to me was I don't want to say dirty, but it was as close to dirty as you can get without me wanting to be. Like it, there, there's again f- the fastest of the game as well. But I, I was with you on that one. I did not defend him on that hit. I thought that deserved that deserved a fine. He got suspended. I was okay with that. This one to me, I mean, if, if this was any other player on any other team playing, probably any other team, this gets like there was a hit on Dane Evans later in the game that was very similar. You know, no one said boo about it. So I think it's just a. He's, a he's, develop, he's developed this reputation over the last couple of years, and I think because it was him against the riders i think it, it gets blown up even even larger proportions and it would have been if this was any unless it was caleros it was any other player against any other quarterback it's probably a that was pretty dirty and we move on but instead it's been something that we've been talking about for three days now yeah the the pitchforks are out for for simone on every other team hates him we love him um, well, and that's it too if he was on if 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 he was playing against us i would be i'd be one of those guys i'd hate this guy and mm-hmm. if he's on any other team they would love him i think i saw who did, I saw someone tweet out. I can't remember who it was now. I wish I could remember it. I wish uh, I feel bad now. But someone tweeted out, Ryder fan tweeted out that said he loves Simone Lawrence. If he was on the Riders, they would be defending him like Ticat fans are now. So at least there's some people out there who have a little bit of objectivity here. Again, will he get fined? Probably he probably will get fined because that's just the way it goes. But is this a suspension worthy hit? Should he been kicked out of the game? That's that's going too far for me. What are your thoughts on Fajardo not being pulled from the game, however? The league said earlier today on Tuesday that they made a mistake in not taking him out. There was the incident the day before in the Bombers game where Zach Caleros took a hit. He was pulled late in the like very late in the fourth quarter. I believe Drew Brown came and had to orchestrate the game winning field goal drive. Everyone was like, oh, you know what? That's what the injury spotters are for. Fajardo takes this hit to the head neck area. Fajardo himself came out. I believe it was it was either after the game or it was Monday saying I didn't want to show them anything that the spotter could take me out. The right. league said they made a mistake not pulling him from the game. Why wasn't he pulled from the game? How, like this has to be consistent everywhere, does it not? Yeah, it does. It really does. And I was actually shocked that they did it because I've never really seen that before. Mm-hmm. Um, the only time I remember them doing they did they did it with Michael Riley. I can't remember if he was in Edmonton or if he if it was one of his years in BC. But they did pull him from a game after this, and the fans, whether it was. Edmonton fans or BC fans did the same thing. They were like, well, how can you do this in a situation like this? But it's about keeping players safe, no? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, because football players will pretend not to be injured. Like, they'll do anything. They're trying to admit it to as much. Yeah. So this, they they won't protect themselves. So there's somebody else has to do it for them. But I, I commend them for doing it um, in the Bombers game because, you know, it was like you said, it was the last drive of the game. It was a game winning drive. Um, they could have just said, oh, you know, we'll let the Bombers decide, but they, they took action. Now, the Fajardo one, I, I, I agree with the league that they kind of messed that up and they should have done the same thing that they did with Caleros. Um, so hopefully they learn from that mistake and uh, moving forward, they won't make the same one. 
All right, moving on to some Ticats news, Mike. And the team unveiled a new Made in the Hammer alternate jersey last Thursday. The team has a full merchandise line that includes hats, shirts, and of course, the jerseys that fans can buy. I saw them up close on Sunday when I was at Tim Hortons Field to watch the Forge FC match. And they do look really nice, if a little bit plain, if you get them without a name and a number on them. The Ticats have announced that they will wear these jerseys at least twice this season. The first game coming on Canada Day against the Edmonton Elks. And then again in their October 21st matchup against against the Ottawa Red Blacks. Mike, you've had a chance to look at the jerseys, not in person, but in pictures. What are your thoughts on them? I really like them. I really, really like them. I think they're very sharp. And it's funny how, like, people can have such different opinions mm-hmm. on the same, you know what I mean? Like, some people are just like, oh, those are the worst things I've ever seen in my life. And then others like me are like, oh, that's friggin' awesome. Um, but yeah, I thought they are very cool. Uh, I'd like to get one at one point to, you know, maybe if I mortgage my house, then, uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. The prices, uh, yeah, we'll get to that in a bit. Yeah. I could mortgage my house. I rent. So anyways, <laughs> um, but yeah, overall, I thought they're, they're really sharp. I like the, um, you know, what does it say? Uh, it says the hammer on the front of the jerseys. Right. So I think that's super cool. Um, the whole idea behind, it, I like the H on the, on the, shoulder. I love the logo. I absolutely, yeah. with, with the, with the sil like the, the in between, like making the H that like silhouette, that empty area being mm-hmm. like the head of a hammer. I think that's what looks really, really sharp. Yeah. Like, I, think it says Hamil- I think it says Hamilton in the middle of the H, maybe it says hammer in the middle of the H. Oh, I, right. the logo to me is the best part. Like I, I, with you, I, I like it. Like I said, it's a little bit plain without a name and number, but I really like the, the yellow for some reason. I don't know why dude, but yellow and, and gray. It, it really appeals to my eye. I don't know what mm-hmm. it is. I find it really appealing. But the logo, oh, chef's kisses. I love that logo. Yeah. So, yeah, give it a, a big thumbs up. A big thumbs up. Yeah. The only thing I would change, having seen it, is if you want to get it with – you just want to get the jersey, it does just look like kind of a gray T-shirt. So right. I wish that they maybe would have done something along the sides like maybe put a, a yellow stripe or maybe a pair of black stripes and a yellow stripe or something like that on the sides to maybe give it a little more color to kind of break up the monotony of it. But other than that, I think it I think it looks really sharp. I'm looking forward to seeing these things in action. And like I said, I absolutely adore the logo. However, this is not all good because I do have an issue with something, and it's an issue I have with a lot of CFL merchandise. You kind of joked about it off the top saying that you're going to have to mortgage your rental property for it. And that's <laughs> that these things are too damn expensive, dude. Like it's for a crested jersey, it's two hundred and forty five dollars and a blank jersey is one hundred and thirty nine dollars. So you're paying almost one hundred dollars just to get a name and number. Is that not insanely overpriced to you? Yeah, I've thought it for for many years that that CFL merchandise is just way, way too overpriced. And I don't want to be sound like a cheapskate or anything, but like it just it just doesn't make sense to me that. You know, a league that struggles with with money a lot of the time isn't trying to sell as much merch as possible. And I guess there's the idea that, you know, you don't have to sell as much if the price is so high. But that's just I I just can't get behind that way of thinking. I don't either. I think CFL merchants and this is something that me and my buddy Rich have talked about. Oh, my God. We've he's, he's brought it up to me at least three times this year alone. But we've talked about this before. It's that it's, it's too pricey. Like they have these made in the hammer T-shirts. They're forty five dollars. Hats are between forty and forty five dollars. Tukes are forty three bucks. And if you look, it's not just these this like new line. You have to look at the, if you look at the whole shop, they're selling track pants. A hundred dollars for a pair of track pants. One of those like bucket hats, like kind of like a sailor hat. Fifty five bucks. Shorts are fifty five bucks. Hoodies go go for over a hundred dollars. And like I know the tie cats probably aren't alone in this. I'm sure. Merch prices across the league are expensive, but 
when I saw these prices, I, I was like, I got to look up what other prices, like what other sports sell their jerseys for. So I went to fanatics.ca, which is where we, I'm sure if you've watched CFL games, especially last year, you saw a bunch of commercials. They don't sell CFL gear, but they sell everything else. So I went there and I was like, OK, let's look at what are the who are the most popular players and, and teams in, in the NFL. So I was like, OK, let's look up what like a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen or Aaron Donald jersey goes for. Same same jersey, same as the ones we get from the CFL, these six ones, 170 bucks. I was like, OK. Austin Matthews, probably the most popular. Him, Connor McDavid, two most popular players in the NHL. What does a what does a Leafs or, or an Oilers crested jersey go for? $190, so a little bit more expensive. Then I'm like, okay, let's go to basketball. LeBron James, Steph Curry, guys like that, $130. So I know this is going to sound like an ad for Fanatics, but it's not. But that's where I get all my non-CFL gear from. Like I've ordered – my brother's Christmas gift the last few years from Fanatics. My dad's Christmas stuff. We just got my uncle, who's a big Miami Dolphins fan. Just got him some stuff from Fanatics for his birthday. They're always having sales on the site, whether it's like free shipping or clearance sales or some other type of promo. But even with, with without any of that stuff involved, you look at it and you just go, I can get a Josh Allen jersey for $170 or I can get a Dane Evans jersey and it's going to cost me 245 mm-hmm. Like Make it make sense to me, man. Why is the NFL stuff maybe – because they sell more of it. I don't know. But if you're a fan looking – and let's say like you're like us where you're a fan of multiple sports, multiple leagues. You're like, where am I going to spend my money? You look at the difference in price and you go, I'm getting way more bang for my buck if I if I go buy one of these other jerseys versus what you can get at, at the Ticat store. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really mind-blowing. It's just like how could you – right? like I said, in a league that struggles to make money, yep. like you shouldn't overprice your merchandise. You just shouldn't. Like get as many – because – it's a walking billboard, essentially. Like, get as many shirts on people as you can, and then other people are like, oh, you know, that guy's wearing a CFL shirt. Like, maybe I should check them out. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, I thought it's just – I would have so much Ticat. Like, I already have <laughs> so much Ticat stuff, but I would have so much more if the prices were, you know, reasonable. And it's not that, like, you know, I would go broke from buying a $300 jersey. It's just that I, I just can't, you know – How do you justify it? How do you justify exactly. when exactly like, like I do that a guy that lives outside of the province with you add taxes you add shipping shipping is not cheap like it's expensive it's that two hundred and forty five jersey would probably be around three hundred bucks like close to it now yeah. I tweeted out it would be well over three hundred bucks then I did the math and I was like no it probably wouldn't be that much but it'd be close to three hundred bucks I think yeah and that's just like when you think about and as you get older and you have bills to pay and you. We have you have rent to pay and you start to go like, OK, and I like you, I'm not I'm not in any financial hardships like I make a good amount of money. I'm I'm smart with my money, but I'm still like like I went down there on Sunday, like I said, to the Forge game. And I was like, oh, man. I said, to you, I was like, I'm going to go see it in person. I'm going to go pick one up. And I went there and I was looking at it going that price tag is it's it's, it's, not it. it's like it, it's it's just it's not right. It's just, no. it's just not right. I don't. But someone has to talk to somebody in the CFL and be like, why, why is this the way that it is? T-shirts should be thirty bucks. You know what I mean? Hoodies, maybe, maybe if it's a really nice one, you can get get away with like seventy-five dollars. Track pants for a hundred dollars. Like, let's say, like you want, I want the hoodie, I want the T-shirt, I want the hat, I want the track pants. It's gonna, or you want, you want the jersey. It's gonna cost you like five, six hundred dollars to get your game day outfit, and it's like. Guys, like there's got to be – like you said, it's like a walking advertisement for the league. Isn't it better – would it be better to sell 100 shirts at 30 bucks than it would be to sell 25 shirts at $60? You know what I mean? Like yes, not only would you make more money, but you even even if it was the same, let's say – so T-shirt costs you $45. You cut that in half, and I'm not saying they should. I said 30, so I'll stick with 30. But sell 100 shirts at $30, or you sell 
75 shirts at $45, you're making the same amount of money, but you have 25 more people out there repping your brand. Doesn't that make more sense from a marketing standpoint to have people have that that logo? And I get, like I said, I'm sure this is the same across the CFL, but to have that logo on people as they're walking the street, like said, oh, good dude's wearing a tie cut shirt. Oh, dude's wearing an elk shirt. Oh, dude's wearing a lion shirt. Like, doesn't it make more sense to do that? And I and I know not, not I don't want to cut you off before you get a chance to answer, but we're kind of seeing that in other venues. Look at what the Elks are doing. They announced that thing where the, the weatherproof tickets where whatever the forecast is on Monday was the price of a certain number of tickets. Like that's the idea of get them in the stands. Maybe they'll buy a t-shirt. They'll spend money on concessions. Yes. Maybe we take a little bit of a hit, but over the grand scheme of things, we grow the base. To me, it, it feels like a no brainer. You want more people repping your stuff than you want necessarily than making the most amount of money. But um, maybe that's just me. And that's the thing, right? Yeah, we have to get these younger dudes like uh, Victor in uh, Edmonton and the new owner in BC. I mean, these guys know how to do it. They know how to market. They know how to get, you know, reach younger fans and all that good stuff. So um, but I think it was Tiger Sammy on Twitter that said, you know, for the cost of that jersey, you know, my, my season tickets were cheaper. You know what I mean? So that's it's insane. like. That's it insane. is. That's nine game or ten games with the preseason. I mean, uh, eleven uh, games because you also pay for your playoff ticket in your package right. too, and yeah. then they'll refund you after. So you're paying a let for eleven games of football. Cost you for it costs him for one jersey. That's that's think about that. That's thirty three. Essentially thirty three hours of entertainment versus mm-hmm. a t- uh, a glorified t shirt. Makes no sense to me. None at all, my friend. None at all. All right, let's move on to some good news. Enough bitching for a second here. The Ticats and quarterback Dane Evans announced on Monday the Play It Forward initiative that will provide support to local indigenous youth. Many people listening to the show will probably know, and maybe there are some that do not, but Evans himself is a Native American. He's a descendant of the Wichita tribe through his father's side of the family. And I read an interview from, I think it was last year, where his great-grandmother was the last speaker of that language and when she passed away in 2016 the language died that's both sad and also kind of an interesting fact about evans the program will provide 20 tickets to every ticats regular season home game for the 2022 season to indigenous youth and evans will be hosting a play it forward day at tim hortons field on july 5th for 100 indigenous youth mike you and i and just media in general talk a lot about the negative stuff to do with players both on and off the field. But it's really nice to kind of talk about one of these stories where the players are doing good for a change. And I, and I don't mean that as in like this is a rare occurrence. Across the league, players do this. I remember Darius Bowman's Darius for Autism campaign. And just be, this is just the, the latest in a long line. The players do this all the time. I think it's good on Evans for starting this. But I think we need to, as a fandom, start to really elevate this type of thing because this is the, this is the stuff that people should be talking about when it comes to what these players do in the community. Absolutely. And, you know, it's a, it's a issue that's kind of close to my heart because my, my girlfriend is Indigenous and yep. her kids are indigenous and I, I live with um jacob the 16 year old so um you know i see it a lot in canada you know with the racism towards indigenous people and you know they don't get the chances that you know guys like us would get you know to play sports and all that good stuff so um my my hat is off to dean evans for doing this i think he's a great guy i think he's a great quarterback and i couldn't be prouder to have him as a hamilton tiger cats quarterback so i think he's just outstanding 
Yeah, couldn't say it better myself. So let's move on to the other bit of Ticats news from this week, and that is the team has signed Canadian offensive lineman Andrew Pickett. Pickett was a third-round pick of the Ottawa Red Blacks in the 2018 CFL draft, but due to injuries and the canceled COVID season, didn't actually see the field until last year, where he played in 13 games for the Red Blacks, starting four, I believe it was, three at guard and one at center. He was released by the Red Blacks in training camp of this year. Canadian offensive lineman coming in. We saw Kyle Saxlid get hurt in the game. We've seen some less than stellar play from a couple other Canadians. What do you make of this signing, Mike? Um, what I make of it is that they realize that they have a big problem in the offensive line and they're trying to reach for guys who got cut from other teams to bring them in, see if they can fit, fit them in. But uh, I just don't think we have a lot of depth along the offensive line. And this is what this move is about. But I don't know if he's like, I don't know if he's good enough. I just don't know. You're going to put him in there and he's going to give up three sacks. Like, I don't know, man. They're reaching for straws, I think. I don't know if I if I put too much stock in the fact that he was cut by another team. We've seen guys, Braylon Addison was cut by a team once and look at him now. You know what I mean? Mm. So, I mean, I, I get where you're coming from. And especially there's maybe a little bit more of that with a Canadian player because they usually get, especially a, Can- a Canadian player drafted in like the top three rounds, they get a really long leash before they're kind of thrust out. But Ottawa made so many changes, especially on the, along the offensive line. I think they brought in like three or four different guys to start on the offensive line this year that it could have just been an odd man out situation. We yep. we talked about we talked about a lot of guys that the Ticats cut this past training camp who I was like, he's really good. Like we it's I think it's a little unfair to be like he's oh, he was cut by another team. So therefore, he might not be any good. That said, this does worry me about the long term health status of of a player like Saxlet because if he was if this was a one week thing maybe you're okay going in with the guys you still have but if you're bringing someone in I start to really kind of worry if maybe that's going to be a much more longer term injury than we were hoping yeah that I mean that could be a an indication of uh, Saxlet might be out for a while so you know it's on <clears throat> we brought in a guy like Saxlet and you thought that yeah this is he'll probably be a starter or at the very least he'll be some really good depth along that offensive line and then you know he gets in there and gets injured pretty much right away so it's uh it's very disappointing and um I'm just I'm very very interested to see where this goes you know how this offensive line performs going forward because I'm worried, Josh. <laughs> you know, I know yeah. I'm always worried, but I'm especially worried. I, I do reserve the right to change my opinion if Pickett does indeed start this Saturday against the Stamps. Then I, I, I think I join you on the worried side of the ledger, dude. Because if you're bringing a guy in fresh off the street and starting him four days, five days later, I'm maybe a little less pleased than I would be if he's just being brought in for death purposes and you're you're still happy with what you have. But uh, who knows? Maybe we'll we'll get, we'll get some answers this week with with, uh, with the guys at uh, at practice. We'll have to go from there. OK, let's move on to some CFL news, Mike. And uh, the CFL and TSN released their annual list of the top 50 players in the league last week ahead of the start of the 2022 season. I think unsurprisingly, Winnipeg quarterback Zach Caleros was named the league's top player after he led the Blue Bombers to the best record in the CFL in 2021, a second consecutive Grey Cup title while also being named the league's most outstanding player and the Grey Cup's most valuable player. He was joined in the top five by three other Bombers. Willie Jefferson at number two, Adam Big Hill at number four, and Stanley Bryant at number five, with Alouette's running back William Stanback, who, side note, that really sucks that he got hurt in that game against against the Stampeders, did it not? Yeah, I mean, he is uh, one of the best running backs in the league, an exciting guy to watch, you know, a, a guy that Montreal could have marketed to that city, and uh, yeah, he goes down in the first game, it's very unfortunate. 
Yeah, pretty big blow. He was the only non-bomber in the top five, finishing as the third best player, according to the voters of the TSN list. The Ticats had eight players in the top 50, led by Simone Lawrence, who came in at number 11. The other seven were Brandon Revenberg at number 19, Dane Evans at number 26, Cariel Brooks at 28, Dylan Wynn at 32, Chris Van Zyl at 36, Tunde Adelike at 44, and Jamal Roll at 47. Mike, these lists always spark debate. I wrote about some of the things I hated about this list for an article on Three Down Nation. So please feel free to check that out if you haven't. But what about you? I want to I'm curious about your your feelings on this. What did you like and or dislike about this year's edition of the top 50 players in the CFL? Well, I got a couple points here. Um, I think Bo Levi Mitchell was way too high on the list. Absolutely. Um, he's, you know, he's not a top 15 player in this league anymore. No. And if we're going by last year, you know, Brandon Banks dropped out of it completely. Mm-hmm. We're going by he last. Num- he was number one. Yeah. And, you know, Bo didn't have a very good season last year. And everyone knows that who watched. How is Brandon Banks completely out of the list? And Bo Levi Mitchell is still, you know, 14 or 15 or whatever he was. The, only, just, reason, the only reason I can justify, and I'm not, I don't say justifying, like, I can, it's quarter, quarterbacks. They put, there's seven quarterbacks on this list. Seven of the nine starting quarterbacks are on this list of the top 50 players. McLeod Bethel-Thompson is only on this list because he's a starting quarterback. I'm sorry. He is not a top 50 player. If I was to pick the – if I was to – like if you were drafting a team, yeah, your first nine picks would be quarterbacks more than likely. Maybe, you know, Willie Jefferson or Adam Big Hill or, you know what I mean, one of the receivers might pop in there. But for the most part, if you then I understand that. But there's – there's that that's the only reason I could think of that Mitchell's that high is because there's just – Flat out too many QBs on these lists. Yeah, and they're just looking at his resume, you know, past years. Um, yeah, it just doesn't make sense. Um, I have here written, it must have been autocorrect, Starbucks too high, but I mean, I think I meant stand back. Stand back. I think he was a little bit too high. You know, I three, don't. Three, three is a little three? high, I agree. Yeah, I mean, top 10, sure. Yep. No, five, uh, I don't know. I don't know. You know, if I was making a list, I probably would have put Willie Jefferson at number one. And, it, you know, it's the He's a defensive player, so that's probably why. Um, Zach's a fine quarterback. I don't think he's the best player in this league. Uh, I'm sorry, but that, that's just how I feel. I think Andrew Harris was too high based on the season he had last year. Oh, my year. God. Okay, what? I'm glad you brought that up. Andrew Harris is not a top 20 player anymore. No. Again, if Brandon Banks fell completely off the list, how the hell is Andrew Harris 18th? Mm-hmm. It's... Yeah, I, I don't get it. But, uh, you know, the, another point was I thought, you know, Speedy should have been on the list somewhere. You know, may, if it's in the 40s or whatever, if he's number 50, fine. But I just don't think you he's not a top 50 player anymore. I don't know. How do you feel about that, Josh? I mean, I don't know if he is. I mean, I think if, Fair enough. there's but here's the thing. There's a lot of guys on this list because of reputation and his reputation is still as a top 50 guy. So, yeah, he probably should be on here somewhere. Can I ask right. you? What the list? Okay, first off, so, so the, there's there's one quarterback thing that bothered me, and I mean, I guess this didn't look all that great based on the outcomes of what happened in Week One. But I don't think Vernon Adams, based on his resume, should be ahead of Dane Evans. Now, I think they're both too high. Evans is at 26, Adams is at 25. Again, I think that's a product of people just ranking too many quarterbacks. But I don't think what has Adams proven, other than he's really fun to watch. Don't get me wrong, I love watching him play, but his resume. Evans has started the last two Grey Cups, came in cold in 2019 and led the Ticats their greatest record in franchise history. Didn't They didn't lose a beat after losing their MOP caliber quarterback from a year before. 
And then Evans comes in in relief of Mazzoli last year in the East final, orchestrates one of the greatest halves of football I've ever seen, and then gets the team to the Grey Cup. Now, granted, he played, what, like two series, one series in that Grey Cup? But still, he started the last two Grey Cups, and you're telling me that he's below a guy like Vernon Adams, who has all the skills in the world, but well, done yet. he's done nothing. He's done absolutely nothing so far. He's Evans has been in the last two Grey Cups. Vernon Adams hasn't started a game where his team's won a playoff game yet. So and I don't just, understand. I don't understand just, that ranking. No, I'm, I'm with you on that, too. He's just way too inconsistent as yep. well. Uh, like you said, fun player to watch. Um, you know, I, I think he's, he might, uh, you know, be overrated, as we see on this list. And I hope him all the best, but I just don't think that he's better than Dane. In, in, in no world do I think that Vernon Adams is a better quarterback than Dane Evans. I agree with that as well. DBs, what did DBs do to not get any respect on this list? Cario Brooks is a top-ranked defensive back at number 28 you got a guy like tj lee who might be the most underrated defensive player in the league Derek moncrief finished so tj lee finished 41st Derek moncrief is 42nd did you watch him against the ticats he looked like a top 10 player out there now the offense didn't look great but i think Derek moncrief's one of the, a criminally underrated player and tunde adelike might be and is by some considered the best canadian player in the league regardless of position and he's 44th like there's just they, this list showed absolutely no love to defend. How is there no defensive backs in not only not just the top 25, but the top 20 when you got guys like Andrew Harris, you got I'm so, I actually I don't hate to say it. Cody Fajardo to me is not a top 20 player. Bo Levi Mitchell is not a top 25 player like you have guys up there that I don't think should. I mean, I don't think Harris if, if you're not taking Brandon Banks off the list, I don't think Harris should be on the list either. How did how, what does it take for defensive backs to get some damn respect in this league? Yeah, especially in the year that we had previous, you know, where the passing wasn't very good. You know, the DBs seemed like they were on fire the whole season. So there's a lot of good DBs in this league, and they do, they do deserve uh, more respect for what they do. I think that, you know, they've been loading up. They've been putting the best players on defense for years now. Yep. And, and the defensive backs deserve more credit than what they got in this 50 list for sure. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly, sir. But you know what? These lists are meant to be fun. I don't take them too seriously. I know you don't take them too seriously. It's meant to engender us having these conversations and sparking these debates, and that's what's fun about them. I just think some of these I, – I think the putting Andrew Harris in the top 20 is going to age like milk out in the hot summer sun this year. Like he's, I think he's – I don't think he's going to make it the full season. I think he's going to completely fall off a cliff. So that's the – to Simone, me – Simone, Simone should be top 10 player as well. I, I think, think. Simone, yeah. He's really close, but he should be top ten. You look at you look at the top ten. Is he better than Eugene Lewis, Lucky Whitehead, Brian Burnham? Like, there's four receivers in the top ten, and one of them's not Duke Williams, who I personally believe is the best receiver in the league. Kenny Lawler at number six. Like, if okay, so Kenny Lawler plays for the Elks. Of the top seven, six of those sevens made their bones with the Bombers last year. If the Bombers have five of the seven or had six of the seven, why are we even playing the season? Just give them the damn trophy already. Yeah, <laughs> just throw in the towel. Give it to the and, bombers. And both both BC receivers in the top ten, but BC was awful last year. Mm-hmm. Like you know what I mean? I, again, I know team results don't really have it, but I'm I'm with you. I I think if I was to do this list, I got no Calaris at one. Okay, I'm with you. I probably would put Willie up there. Adam, is Adam Big Hill seven spots better? I I Big Hill to me Big Hill and Simone are, are one and two with the linebacker. Whatever. But you want to put them, they're super close to each other. Stanley Bryant, top five, I get. Kenny Lawler, I'm, I actually think that that's 
I don't think that's going to age very well. Jackson Jeffcoat, I actually think could be higher, to be honest with you. I think I'd have Simone at maybe number six on this list. I think I think Caleros and, and Jefferson are still there. Stanback's probably in the top 10 somewhere. Big Hill's still up there. Yeah, I'd have I'd have Simone up three or four slots. Yeah, he deserves that. He's been, you know, he's been one of the best linebackers in the league for many years now. So, All right. You ready to talk about some dumb tweets from some CFL people? Sure, 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 sure. Okay, so – Usually we only mine Twitter for content when it comes to asking for listener questions. But in the last couple of days, I've seen some CFL personalities tweet out some truly mind boggling stuff that I think deserves some discussion. We're going to start with former Saskatchewan Rough Rider defensive lineman Marcus Adams, who tweeted the following, Mike, quote, I love how I see CFL fans talking bad about the Elks. Just remember back in 2011, the BC Lions were 0-6 and still won the Grey Cup. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. Okay, so. A few things. Firstly, and this is admittedly a pedantic point by me, the Lions did not start 0-6. They started 0-5 and then 1-6 before then going on one of the all-time greatest heaters ever. And obviously, they went and won the Grey Cup that year. Secondly, I think people forget about that Lions team is they were A, in a lot of close games, and B, added Arlan Bruce around week five. So that winning streak started to take off after the Ticats traded Arlan Bruce to BC after he had kind of worn out his welcome in Hamilton, but they also had the emergence of like Chris Williams that year. So, I mean, there were a, a bunch of factors as to why the Ticats traded Bruce, but they added a weapon like that. They already had G. Roy Simon, Andrew Harris. That was the first year where Harris ended up kind of coming into his own. So the Lions, they, they weren't getting blown out. Like Elks lost by like 40 points. 40, what was it? What was the final score? 59-14 or something like that on yeah. Saturday night? Like, they got hammered. BC, if you go back and look at the Lions schedule that year, they're losing by, like, I think in that 1-6 and six start, they lost by a combined, like, 33 points. That's less than what the Elks lost in game one. So, with those two points made, Mike, I just, I really wish people would stop bringing this up. And there's a reason why we bring up this one team, this Lions team from 11 years ago, and it's because... No other team that has started this poorly has ever done anything because this this terrible start is not replicable. And I know this because I did some research today on it, Mike. So since 2011, we have seen teams start the season as badly as the Lions team did. So kind of in that one, one and six, oh, and five sort of area, 19 different times. Of those, that includes the 2013 season because there were two teams. There, the Lions weren't the only team that started terribly that year. So did the Argos and so did the Riders. So of those 19 teams, Mike, two, two of them have even been so good as to then make the playoffs that year. And they both came in the same division in the same season. So let's play a little bit of a guessing game here, Mike. Can you guess what the teams were? And do you know what year they were? They were all in the, both in the same division, you say, eh? Same division. Crap. You say uh, Saskatchewan? No. 2014, Ticats and Owls. Montreal started one and seven. Hamilton yeah. started one and six. Remember now? What year? What team was that? 2014. 2014. 20, so that's the that was the opening of Tim Hortons Field season. The year okay. after 12. Right. Right. Okay. So yep. Owls started one and seven. Jonathan Crompton was the quarterback. Ticats started one and six. They started the season with Zach Caleros. He got concussed by Odell Willis in the second game in in Edmonton. Then Jeremiah Mazzoli started a game. Then Dan Lefevre started a game. Lefevre got hurt. Caleros comes back in at Labor Day. Both teams end up finishing 9-9. Nine and nine. 
and the Ticats hosted the Owls in the East Final that year and won. Hamilton obviously would go on to lose the Grey Cup that year to the Calgary Stampeders in a game that most Ticat fans remember and we don't like to mention. So twice in 19 occurrences and three times if you count the Lions team as well of teams just making the playoffs after starting that poorly. Two instances of the teams making the Grey Cup and one, the one that always gets brought up every damn year, the one that actually won it all. So that, like, my point here is like, I just I wish people would stop doing this to themselves. Like stop like every every year a team starts off poorly and we have someone come out and say, well, you remember the 2011 Lions? It is an anomaly, dude. Like we need to stop wasting our time even thinking about this. Your most teams that start off this bad. Guess what? They end this bad. You start one and six, usually end up finishing like five and 13. So I just wish we would stop. I know I understand it's hope. I understand it's, it's really bizarre that this comes out in week one. Usually we got to get to like 0 and 4, 0 and 5 before someone brings this up. I, I just wish we would stop. It's it's this is I'm, I won't say it'll never happen again, but this is unlikely to be something that we will ever see again. Don't you agree? Yeah, I'd have to agree. Even in a nine team league, if you start off that poorly, um, it, it's a tough road to get back to even make the playoffs. Even when you need six to nine teams to make the playoffs, it, it's very, very tough. So. Yeah, you, you, we got to stop pointing to that season um, and be like, every time a, te- a team does bad early on and be like, well, the, the BC Lions did it. Well, you know, they're the only ones who did it, you know, in, in recent memory in the last for however long, probably since the uh, crossover came into play, right? Because you'd had teams back in the day that had really bad records going into the play. I mean, you had yeah, a team. Like Ottawa, Ottawa made a great cup at like 3 and 13 or something like right. that. Right. I was just going to mention them, you know, against the juggernaut. Uh, and almost won, won that game too. And they almost won that game, which is completely insane to me. But um, yeah, it's just it's probably not going to happen again. If you start one and six, you're probably done for. It's true. So I'll I'll just do a quick rundown of the teams because I feel like people would like this information. The Riders in 2011 started one and seven, finished five and thirteen. The Argos in 2011 started one and six, finished six and twelve. The Bombers in 2012 started one and five, finished six and twelve. The Elks in 2013 started one and six finished four and 14. The Bombers in 2013 started one and six, finished three and 15. Then in 2014, we have the Owls and the Ticats. The Argos in 2014 also started poorly, one and four, finished eight and 10, didn't make the playoffs. The Red Blacks in 2014, their first year started one and six, got to as bad as one and 11, finished two and 16. The Riders in 2015 started 0 and five, finished three and 15. The Owls... I won't, you know what? I'm not going to bother with the rest of them. You get the, aside from the Owls and the Ticats that we talked about, no other team has even made the playoffs. They usually finish. I'm, there's a lot of six and 12s, a lot of five and 13s, a lot of four and 14s here. Teams that do this do not make the playoffs. So please spare us ever talking about this again. It's it just, I, I, I don't know if there's a way for us to, to find a, like, like just like like I have a robot tweet out these stats to people whenever you know how you have those like bots on Twitter where it's like someone will mention something and like this bot will come out and we gotta do that with this someone mentions the, the 2011 Lions we come up with these stats and just shut them down completely and then hopefully we never have to hear about it again yeah or just you know just kick them off Twitter completely just get out of here you know <laughs> it's gonna happen you and I, you and I can keep talking about it every time it happens every year you and I one time during the year we'll have to have this conversation again yeah, how about we'll we do that? about it yeah that sounds good to me. All right, so that wasn't the only instance of a CFL personality tweeting something ridiculous. Veteran long snapper Chad Rempel said in a now-deleted tweet that Andrew Harris, Mike, someone who we just said is not a top-20 player in the league anymore, was the greatest player in CFL history. I don't know where to even start with this absurd statement, Mike. I don't think Harris is the greatest player of his generation. 
I don't even think he's the greatest running back of his generation. I think people forget how goddamn good John Cornish was. I know his career was very short, but if Cornish doesn't get those concussions, he laps whatever Harris does. He was a two-time nominee for MOP, and he won the damn thing in 2013. John, whereas Andrew Harris hasn't come close to winning most outstanding players. Won a couple of most outstanding Canadians, understandably, but never, never the most outstanding player. I think to say that Harris is the greatest player ever in the league – to me, I, that's just that's indefensible. And I mean, Rempel must think so, too, because he deleted the tweet. But what, what do you think of this? Andrew Harris, greatest player in CFL history? Come on. Oh, my God. So he's better than Warren Moon. So he's better than Doug Flutie. So he's better than Cameron Wake. So he's better than Calvillo. You know, Rush Jackson. Just, you know, I could just keep going and going yeah. and going and going and going. This maybe, maybe, maybe if he said the best Canadian running back of all time. Okay. We can have an we can have a discussion about that, like we can. Um, but I wouldn't I wouldn't rank him up there as the best Canadian running back of all time either. I think John Cornish was better than him. I think at one point in time, Jerome Messam was a better running back than Andrew Harris. Yes, Andrew Harris has been around for a while and he's he's racked up some numbers and he's had some really good seasons. He's a he has been a good running back. But to say that he's the best CFL player of all time is like. I don't even know a word to describe how stupid that is. I mean, it's 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 moronic. It's it reminds me of like people when they talk about like top ten, like this guy's a top ten player of all time, and it's like you look at these lists of people. It's like oh, you got to put this guy in your top ten, and it's like well, you have fifteen people in your top ten, mm-hmm. so your top ten's not a top ten anymore. It's top fifteen. And I look at the, this with the injury. Like if you want to say he's the best player of his era, I might hear that argument. But I don't think I'd buy it. We just talked about the running backs. To, to say the amount of players that have played in this league over the years, to, to to say that Andrew Harris is the best ever, I don't know, man. I, I just don't buy it. I don't think he's a top 10 player of all time. So I just I don't see how you can – I don't know. This, this feels to me like something that you say in kind of like the heat of the moment. I don't know if – I know Rempel was a teammate of Harris's. I think they were on the 2019 Bombers together, uh, and probably some previous teams to that too. But like, I don't, I don't know, man. Like, what did you say? I, you said something about his work ethic and you know how he practiced. Yeah, it's and that's, um, all, that's all well and good. That doesn't make you the best player of all time. There's a ton of players that practice well and work hard. That doesn't make them a top ten player or the greatest player. Like, no, and silliness. No, maybe one day you and I should sit down and try to rank. The top 10. Maybe that's an off-season task for us. We'll do an episode where we rank the top 10 players of all time. And then maybe we'll do the top 10 players of like the last 10 years or something. I don't know. We'll come up with something because it's it's hard. Personally, because I remember years ago when I was running, you know, the old blog ski wee wee stuff. I did a top 10 Ticats players of like the last 30 years or something like that because I only like to talk about players that I saw play. Like I know how great Angelo Mosca was based on footage and stories. I know how great Garney Henley was and Bernie Filoni and all those guys. I never saw him play. So I can only really judge the guys that I remember playing. So I, maybe we should try something like that. Maybe we'll do like the top, I don't know, 15 or so players of the 21st century or something. That would be fun. It would be a fun little game yeah. for us to play. Absolutely. Um, fun little thing in the offseason for sure. Yeah. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I say that now. And by the time we get to February, I'll be like, Dude, were we supposed to do something with players? I forgot because <laughs> that's always what happens. Uh, anyway, lastly, on the CFL front, Mike, the BC Lions trounced the Edmonton Elks 59 to 15 in front of over 34,000 fans at BC Place. The Lions set up a pregame concert and did their best to generate a buzz for their home opener. And it seems to have worked gigantically with attendance issues plaguing teams around the league. Do you think what the Lions did 
is replicable across the CFL and those other cities. And what do you make of the box office success that the Lions had this past weekend? Well, I think that the other teams can look at this example and, you know, an owner that is involved, that cares, Engaged. that's yep. local, you know, that, you know, all that stuff matters. I it, it brings me back to when Bob Young took over the team with the Tiger Cats. I, I can't remember the exact year, but the year before, the average attendance was like 14,000, 15,000. He came in and it was like 27,000. Keep in mind, it was at the old Iver win. But that is an amazing, amazing turnaround. And like one of the biggest turnarounds like you could imagine, especially in the CFL. But I liked how he created a buzz. I liked, um, you know, the concerts. And obviously you can't have a big band like uh, One Republic every game. But I was I was saying to myself and I said to a couple of people at work, you know, a couple of guys. Uh, I know a guy that uh, was from B.C. originally. And uh, I was like, it's great. You know, 34,000 people get him in the stadium. But it's crucial that the product on the field is good because, you know, it's just human nature. If you go to a restaurant and the food's crap and the service is crap, you're not going back. So you have one chance to catch these guys' eyes and, and, you know, impress them. And obviously, you know, 59 points, the product on the field was tremendous. So I I just couldn't be happier. You know, I want every team to thrive off the field. And, you know, the, the BC Lions owner seems to know what he's doing. So do you think that like, – I know you said like you can't have like a big act like One Republic do a pregame concert every game, and I agree with that. But isn't there a way to do – to make – because what this felt like was an event. It felt like you want to be here, and I don't know how they accomplish this over a single offseason, but this went from like we're going to do this big home opener to like, oh, that's a cute idea to, oh, we're probably going to sell out the low – or we're going to do – we're going we're gonna to try to do 25,000 people. Okay, that's that's – really good for a Lions game to we're going to sell out the lower bowl to like days before we're opening up the upper level to we have such high demand for tickets, but we can't sell them because we don't have enough staff because we didn't, we don't want people to wait in line for concessions. Like they sold just a touch over thir- They were a touch over 34,000 people there. I'm thinking they could have got easily gotten over 35, if not 36, 37, if they would have had this, had the logistics figured out. There's a way we've talked, we've heard about the Vancouver market not being great for the CFL, but there's clearly a way to get butts in seats. They created a buzz. You're right. The product in the field for the home team, at least, was very entertaining, scoring nearly 60 points. The brand new starting quarterback had a monster game. But this can be done in Montreal. This can be done in Toronto. This can be done in Calgary's having. A, did you see the sparse crowds at McMahon Stadium for the opener? They can yeah. be better than now. Some of that to me is, and I will say this. Now Calgary's had some attendance issues, but I will say this: Thursday night games got to die. Let's get rid of them. They're no good. No one likes them. The crowds are terrible. Friday night doubleheader, Saturday night doubleheader. Maybe you sprinkle in some Sunday afternoon games during the summer, whatever. But can we get rid of Thursday night football? That it's. I, I no one wants it, so I don't know why we keep doing it. But this this can't this can be done in other places. You can create a buzz, like you said, with committed local ownership who shows that they care. I think you can do this across the league. I see no reason why other teams shouldn't copy this. Like, yeah, maybe you have to bring in a, a really big act at one point. But I think that if you give them something, and then you even if you get it a little less each time, but you give them that hook to come in. I don't give a shit why. If you gotta have a concert every week to get fans to come to the stadium, I don't give I don't I don't care. 
Like mm-hmm. they're still they're they're buying tickets. They're buying probably going to buy some concessions. Teams are going to make money. I think it's only a good thing. So I I applaud the Lions for what they did. And I think any team that's having it that if you tell me after this that you're still having attendance troubles, then you're not watching what they're doing in Edmonton. You're not watching what they're doing in BC, or you just don't care. And if you just don't care, then get the hell out. Let's find someone who does. For so long, it seems that like they're just not trying and then throwing their hands up in there being like, why isn't there anyone here? This guy made the BC Lions an event to go to. You know, the street in front of the stadium was closed. There was a big street party. And and you can do that probably every game. I mean, you're not going to have one republic, but you can have bands and make it an event and make it fun to go there. So, yeah, Toronto, you know, uh, Toronto's a different animal kind of. But, you know, they were in similar situations. I, I felt like Vancouver might have been like, you know, they're so obsessed with the Seahawks that I thought, you know, maybe they just don't. They couldn't be brought back, but uh, I was proven wrong, and the other teams should look at this. Toronto, Montreal, I think Montreal will be okay, but especially Toronto. Like, they just don't seem to be trying, and uh, it, it's proven that in a big city, it can be done. So let's see other teams try. Yeah, like you said, uh, what was it, last week or the week before, the Ned Flanders thing? We, we tried right. nothing, and we're all out of ideas. That's yeah. what the – like, Tannenbaum came out, what was it, last week, and was like, we're not mar- – like, the Argos – are a mess don't get me wrong but if bc can turn this thing around like this bc was bc was getting like eighteen thousand people a year ago on average and yeah maybe they won't fill out thirty five thousand people every week but if you get if they if they start getting crowds of twenty five thousand weekly i consider that you're successful the same with edmonton if edmonton get to like thirty thousand every game that's great there's no excuse to me the, excuse, the excuses have run out. I, I Again, this is a bit of a strained analogy, but I talk to my dad and my brother about like football stuff all the time. And the L.A. Rams in the NFL, they've paid their quarterback a bunch of money. They've paid receivers a bunch of money, and they just gave Aaron Donald the richest contract in NFL history for a defensive player. If And I, we all, me and my brother and my dad are always complaining, like, teams, oh, we can't afford to sign this guy. We can't afford to do this. Okay, well, if the Rams, who have all these expensive players, can afford to do it and win championships, then every other excuse is out the book. And I look at that in the same way here. If BC can make this work in a single offseason and the Argos come to us at the end of the year and go, man, there's nothing we can do. We can only get 12000 here. Then get the hell out. You're, you're, not, yep. you're not doing enough to fix the problem. You're just saying there is a problem and then doing – jack to to figure it out because if bc can do this so can toronto i it's a city of close to four million people there is no way you cannot get twenty five thousand people out to a football game if you give them a reason to come i just don't buy it yeah i'm I'm with you man like i I think we talked about this off mike last week it's like mlsc isn't used to try they don't Mm -hmm. they they haven't tried you know they don't have to try with the raptors or the leafs um they bought tfc when they were already a hot commodity and they've just been riding that ever since. But they have to put in some effort with the Argos, and I just don't think they want to do it. I, I, I really don't. Then find someone who does, because there's, if you can get – no one thought you would get someone in BC. Montreal, how many – Montreal, the, the owners literally just gave the t- team back to the league, and they found someone who's – did you see today he was out there guaranteeing a victory? They're gonna, yeah. What did he yeah. say? He said so they're going to thrash them or thrash the Argos on Thursday. I like that stuff. I mean, yeah. I, I imagine the team's like, why is this 60-year-old man saying what we're going to do? But I kind of like that. He was the one who at the uh, at his introductory press conference, because he's buddies with Bob Young, said Argo suck. Like, I mm-hmm. like that sorts of stuff. Like, let's get these personalities out there and market. If, if you got to market through the ownership, market through the ownership. But we've seen this work. Hamilton at one point was desolate. You brought it up. 
They're now one of the teams that actually makes a profit. The Riders were holding telethons 25 years ago to keep the team alive. They're now the most profitable team in the CFL by a mile. You can't tell me that these things can't be fixed. If the two smallest markets in the league can can get can get this turned around, you're telling me it can't work in the big markets? I, I'm done with the excuses. I'm done with Argo fans saying whatever they say about attendance of – I'm, I'm not listening to it anymore. It worked in BC. It worked in Vancouver. And don't. And Vancouver is a big city. You mentioned the Seahawks. Vancouver is a large city. It's probably the second Tons largest to do. city. Tons it, to do. It. If you can make thirty, if you can get thirty-four thousand people to a Lions game, you can make it work in Toronto. And I'm not taking any other excuses as to why it didn't work out ever again. It, we're, we're done with the excuses. Ownership needs to figure it out. It there. MLC needs to figure it out. Or fine, get rid of them. Find someone else because. You can look at what you did in BC, and you, I know you can do that in Toronto. I know you can do it in Toronto. Just try. Just please, just try. All right, let's move on, Mike. Week two of the CFL season is upon us, and the Hamilton Tiger Cats will play their home opener this Saturday night against the visiting Calgary Stampeders. For the last decade, Calgary has had the Tiger Cats number, but Hamilton has won their last two at Tim Hortons Field against the Stamps and beat Bo Levi Mitchell as the starting quarterback for Calgary for the first time last season. Speaking of Bo, the future Hall of Famer is dealing with an ankle injury suffered in his team's week one victory over the Montreal Alouettes. Mitchell was in a walking boot sorry, earlier this week, but he has since taken that off and is participating in practice. I believe on Tuesday he was a full participant in practice, so it looks like he's going to go. But if he can't, it will be second-year man Jake Mayer under center for Calgary. So, Mike, if the Ticats are to pull out the win on Saturday and get that record to one and one on the season – what will they need to do against the Stampeders team that has, for the most part, given them a ton of trouble over the last decade? Well, they need to get the running game going, I think. Um, you know, however many touches, one touch or whatever it was for Don Jackson just simply isn't enough. That offensive line needs to be, uh, I think I'm understating when I say much better. Because, you know, I think Saskatchewan's D-line is probably up there as, you know, one of the best in the league. But It's, it's, top, three with Ham- it's top three with Hamilton and Winnipeg. No yeah. Doubt. But but Calgary's not not anything to sneeze at either. So they're gonna they're gonna be challenged once again. And guys like Fontana, if he's if he's playing, and Vorn Call, and uh, you know Van Zyl, they need to be better if we're gonna win this game. And and if they don't, we don't have a chance. We don't have a chance at all. And the defensive line last week, you know, I don't think got enough pressure. We need, uh, you know, I thought the the run defense was great. You know, the the interior of that defensive line played tremendously. But I think we need to get some pressure from the outside of that defensive line so we can, you know, make Bo uncomfortable. And I'd rather I'd rather be Bo than uh, Mayor, to be honest with you. I think that Mayor has a better grip on that offense. Uh, maybe not a better grip on the offense, but I just think that he is playing with more confidence right now than Bo. And I think they'd be a better team with Mayor at the helm. Wow, that's a that's a hot take there. Although one that a lot of people seem to be slowly agreeing with that maybe the Stampeders would be better off with Jake Mayer under center than Bo Levi Mitchell. I'm gonna bang this drum like I did last week. They gotta start hot. They didn't lose that game against the Riders until late. It was a two point game with four minutes left, so the hot the slow start that is didn't hurt them any. But it's got to be better than nine six at half or six six or whatever the score was at halftime. Like you mentioned, the run game definitely offensive line without a doubt. Pressure on Bo, and I think they, the thing with Fajardo is he's more mobile than Bo is. And if Bo's even if Bo is playing but is dealing with an ankle injury, he's and Bo doesn't run even when he's fully healthy. I think he had like two runs against Montreal. And everyone's like Bo's running. What the hell? There's opportunity there 
to make him uncomfortable. And when you make him uncomfortable, he makes mistakes. And when he makes mistakes, he makes bow face that you like and he starts putting his hands in the air and not knowing what the hell is going on. That's what I want to see a bunch of. But I do think and until I see it, I think I'm just going to keep banging this drum over and over again. They got to start better. That first quarter, those first couple series, you want to keep the team, you want the, te- the offensive score, you want to keep Calgary off the board. I know that that sounds obvious, but you want those things because you want to keep the crowd in the game. This is the home opener. This is the first time these fans will pack the house since the Grey Cup. They want to cheer for a team that's going to come out and put us all, put all, put, eh, pardon me. They want to cheer for a team that's going to come out and give a full effort. Defensively, we know they will. It's whether the offense can match what the defense brings. And I think to do that, you have to start. I want I want to see at least 10 points in the first quarter from this offense. What, Regardless of what Calgary does, I want to see them score at least one touchdown in the first quarter. Otherwise, I'm we're going to be back here next week very concerned with what this offense is producing. Yeah, because, you know, you you can't keep going two and out or very short drives and putting your defense back on the field and depending on them to keep you in the game, right? I'm with you. They have to score points early. Be ahead in the fourth quarter. Like, can we can we do that for once? Like, be ahead in the fourth quarter and not have to play catch-up and help out your defense a little bit. So I think, obviously, the uh, the passing game needs to be better. That was obviously something to do with the offensive line. So everything, you know, if the offensive line isn't good, then the offense won't be. So we need some protection for Bo. For Bo? <laughs> <laughs> Not for ball, for Dane. Sorry, ball in the mind. I also need to see more out of Tim White. I was, you, yep. I say I, but we were very high on him coming into the season. He was, I know he was the leading rusher on the team, but that's damning with faint praise if I've ever done that before. He needs to be better. He he dropped a few that he should have caught. Not all of them were great, but they hit him in the hands and hey, in the hands you should catch him. I also want to see more than just like you look at Stephen Dunbar's stats. It's like, oh, man, he had 75 yards, but he had two catches and one of them was a 70 yard touchdown. So it's like, oh, OK, maybe it wasn't. You know what I mean? Like I need to see some more consistency. But Tim White, like you mentioned, Don Jackson, I brought up Tim White. Is there any other player that you're interested? Like, I, I'm really curious about the secondary. They look they look pre- I know they gave up 300 yards passing against the Riders, but I thought for the most part, the secondary looked pretty good. Mm-hmm. They're going up against, they got Reggie Bagleton, they got Kamar Jordan. That's a pretty good receiving duo in Calgary. They're going to have their, their work cut out for them. Are you concerned about the secondary, or is there any other player on the team, both either offense or defense, that you're looking to hopefully have a, a much better game this week? I'm not worried about the secondary. I thought that pretty much like the whole game, the Saskatchewan offense was not very good in the passing game until the fourth quarter where they kind of broke it open. But by, by then, you know, the defense was probably really tired and they just couldn't do anymore. You know what I mean? So uh, I'm not wor- worried about the secondary, but I, I, I also want to see more from Tim White. I know that I'm just kind of stealing your thunder here, but we were just so high on him. And we know that he can be that player, you know, be a be a top five receiver in this league with the speed and his hands. I don't believe that what we saw in the first game is a, a true representation of what Tim White is or how Tim White can play the game of football. So I'm looking at him and uh, I want to see, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see how Jake Burt does out there again. You know, he'll be in the starting lineup as a fullback, um, maybe get him the ball a little bit, see what he can do, maybe give him, you know, some screen passes or stuff like that. And speaking of the play calling, I want to see better play calling from Tommy Conkle. <laughs> If the offensive line is shit like it was last week, we need to see some adjustments to that. Some screen passes, whatever. Make it work. Some, uh, you know, handoffs in the backfield to the receivers, uh, the jet sweeps kind of stuff. So 
he needs to be he needs to get creative if this offensive line is going to stink. Do you like the Ticats' chances in this one to win? Uh, no, I think they're going to lose. Really? Yeah. I, I I mean, how could you not? I mean, that offense was just so terrible last week that I just I I don't see them. And it's the Stampeders. I know, like in recent in the last year or so, we we beat them at home, but no, I don't see. I think we're going to be zero two. So do you think they're going zero three then? Because they got Winnipeg coming up after that. Yeah, that's a tough hole to crawl out of. Yeah, I think going three. Yeah, that's probably where we're going. Yeah, uh, I just can't see how you can win games with that protection. I just can't. I I think I don't think Calgary is as good as they looked against Montreal. And I don't think they look particularly good against Montreal, to be quite honest with you, because I don't think the Owls are that good. And I think the Owls kind of showed you what you're capable of against Calgary. So it's funny. Last week, I think you were more on the Ticat side, whereas I literally took the, sta- uh, the the Riders on the on the pick. We do picks for three down. I actually took the Riders, much to the chagrin of a lot of Ticat fans. I actually think the Cats are going to pull this one out. I don't think it's going to be a great game by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, last week, you and I thought the Riders and the Ticats game could be the best game of the week. Ended up maybe being the worst of, of the four games last week. So maybe maybe you being higher on the Ticats and me being lower on the Ticats, we flip it this week and we think the game's not going to be very exciting. The Ticats are going to win. Maybe that that's the, the special magic sauce that we need for this week we flip yeah, our, we flip our so. how we feel yeah i'm hoping so because you know one and one is a lot better than zero and two and then they'll feel a lot better and be in a better mood when we uh when we go into our show next week all right for sure so before we go do not forget to check out our instant reaction post game show we did do a little bit more of some post game stuff here but you can find that on Twitter or wherever you get this wonderful show that you're listening to right now. That's our full kind of right after the game, how we feel. Uh, I know, to be fair, though, we did spend a good chunk of time talking about movies and, and okay. music and such, but there wasn't much to really talk about from last week's game. Uh, unfortunately, this week, there will not be a post-game show. Uh, I have a prior commitment that will force me to miss Saturday's game, but we will keep you up to date uh, on if maybe, Mike, you're – you might do one, you might not, but I don't want to. We're not going to box anyone in here. There's a possibility that there could be gum, but I think there's probably. It's more than likely there's not going to be a post game show, but I will provide some thoughts on the game after I've watched it over at Three Down Nation, and you and I will more than likely then just go back to the old format of this show where we start the show by doing a game recap back back to what we did all the previous years before we decided to do this post game Twitter show. So there. I think I would say 99.9% you will not get a show unless Mike feels a little – I mean, I think if the Ticats win, Mike, you might be able to do one. I yeah. think if they lose, I think I don't yeah. think we'll do one. Ticats win, though, I think Mike might be he'll, – he'll be he'll have a couple pops in him and feel good about himself. So we'll see that. <laughs> but, but barring something unforeseen, we will be back with an instant reaction show following the game after that, which is the Ticats at the Bombers on Friday night. So yeah, great let, let, rematch. Know. let us know if you want you know a solo one and maybe – you know, I can bring some, some fans in and uh, they can give their opinions and stuff like that to, you know, a fill college the void. show. Yeah, fill the void of uh, Josh not being there because I don't know if I could talk enough just by myself. <laughs> so uh, let, let us know how you feel about that. Yeah, but again, if, if we don't do it, we will be back the following week. Great Cup rematch in Winnipeg, Cats and Bombers. Hopefully. It is not the 0-2 Ticats taking on the 2-0 or 1-1 Bombers. It's the 1-1 Ticats, but we'll have to wait and see, right? So, anyway, that was Pod TV for this week. I am Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw.